from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 topics of the week that make us go wow. wow. Uh, I'm co-founder of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey, joined by club kid turned best-selling author and wow celebrity James St. James. That's me. And filling in for our chief creative officer uh, this week, Tom Campbell, our producer, Blake Jacobs. Now, this is our 377th show. And um, I know, I can't believe it, really. Um, <laughs> we've just a few episodes left this year, but we've got a really special guest. Very excited. We've been trying to schedule this for a few hot months. It's, you know, um, but without further ado, I really want to welcome David Laudestein. Number 10. This week, I received a bunch of uh, uh, Nasty Pig items um, uh, that I had ordered. And one of them I'm wearing right now, my little CrossFit bag <laughs> that is so cute. Oh, so I'm I will friend. get mugged when I'm in, in, you know, certain places. I love um, those. <laughs> and wait, I just, wait, for those wait, of you wait. who don't know, that David is uh, the co-founder of Nasty Pig, which is a... Um, sort of fetish-based menswear company based out of Chelsea. And it's been around since the 90s. And uh, I just want to sort of talk to you a little bit about how the company got started. I know uh, before we, uh, that you were a club kid at Limelight <laughs> back in the day at Limelight and Roxy. And you made the little goggles, the little yes. goggles that all the ravers wore. That's yeah. how the company started, right? Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, so the company literally started, uh, it was started by me and my then first boyfriend, who is now my husband uh, of 30 years. Wow. Uh, Crazy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with this. This guy took my virginity. I've been with the same. I'm a virgin <laughs> bride. I've been with this one man. Well, I've been with one man my whole life in a relationship. I think. <laughs> okay. Say no more. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> but so yeah, so we started in uh in 94 making these little prism diffraction goggles that uh we would make them one at a time. I would throw them in a pink Hello Kitty knapsack and go out to limelight and go to the, the spots where the club kids were and I would look for the ones having fun and I would hand them these goggles and they would put them on and all the it would make all the lights turn rainbow. And then and they'd be like, wow, and I would be like $20. Fantastic. Yes. And then I would sell them one at a time out at clubs. Um, and then I used the uh, the money, friend. I would use that money to buy fabric and make pieces one at a time for our friends. And as you know, nightlife is a place you go, you wear it, people pay attention. And so we began to build a little following. Uh, and then we uh, saw a little tiny store on 22nd Street that was 70 square feet. No bathroom pictures, 70 square feet. And, and it was $500 a month. And I said to my man, I was like, daddy, I was like, if we can't make $500 a month, we got no business <laughs> doing it. So you have a store. It's a tiny store. There's no bathroom. So what does a nasty pig do when they need to go to the bathroom? <laughs> they went to this coffee shop called the Big Cup around the corner, which, <laughs> which was the place where you just went to the piss. Uh, uh, you know, so yeah, no, it was, uh, it was literally, a, it was 70 square feet. I would sit outside on the sidewalk in, 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 in little rubber shorts and 
get people to walk <laughs> and, and in. Whistle at boys <laughs> to get them to come in. Exactly. Well, I know exactly. then that you you branched out into um, you know jock straps and uh, uh, other fetish wear and outfits, you know leather outfits and harnesses and stuff that people would wear at the club. But it was the rubber sheets. <laughs> I remember this, the rubber sheets that things really took off. Am I correct? Yeah. You know, we started, we always had a full line of sportswear. We were really into this whole club where fa- fetish meets fashion kind of moment, really, really early on in the nineties. And we, we would uh, make stuff out of this machine washable rubber. Uh, you know, I was a young guy. I was one of a very few people exploring fetish uh, in the early nineties and it was also leather and expensive. And we found this material that you could machine wash. So we began making clothing. And then one day we were leaving Twilo. One morning, forgive me, James. <laughs> one morning we were leaving Twilo. And I was like, we should make rubber sheets. And so we made a pair. And the next week we left Twilo with a little focus group. And uh, everyone loved them. So, you know, so uh, we really <laughs> We really and are. They still bestsellers. Do you still sell your rubber sheets? Yeah, we still sell them with matching pillowcases. Uh, they're, they're, they're a constant seller. They're, you know, what is your best-selling item these days? So our number one seller is is a union suit. It's it's this onesie. Uh, uh, believe it or not, it, it covers more than any other piece of clothing we make. Uh, but my husband, when he he likes to reinvent the classics, so union suits usually have this weird-looking butt flap on them which doesn't make anybody look good. So he designed it so there are snaps that go all the way down and around the butt. So it really shapes your body. And they took off because they're very like little kid on Christmas morning opening presents all the way <laughs> to like these turn around. Moments. It, it does. It's a very versatile garment. So that's really our number that's one. A very, that's a very club kid thing too, isn't it? The sort of... Uh, innocent and cute but also sort of nasty and obscene i I remember ernie glam saying that in party monster that that, especially the onesies with the butt cut out that was a yes club kid thing right yeah it's it's sort of that play on innocence it's like that dirty little kid kind of moment you know and uh it is we were very rooted in, in in that scene you know where it was all it was all about being provocative and dressing and fucking with you know fucking with how you looked so yeah, that's that's that really speaks to us. <laughs> um, uh, you have a lot of celebrities have worn it. Madonna's worn Nasty Pig, uh, Gaga. Uh, I know you did a, a, a charity event, Shreds of Hope. Can you tell us about that? And Andy yeah. Cohen was part of that, and Dustin Lance Black. Yeah, so so we love to raise money for an organization called the Ali Fournay Center. Uh, they mm-hmm. house and uh, uh, educate homeless queer youth, and it's really important to us you know, to, to help these kids, you know, these kids don't have parents. So, so that, that, that support them. So we did something called shred of hope where we had all these celebrities come in and make one of a kind shredders, like actually like this, but we had each one make their own. And then we auctioned them off and, and raised a bunch of money for Ali Forney center. And we continue to, to raise money for, for, for them. You know, I'm a big, I'm a big believer that, uh, you know, we, as, as, as queer people of a certain age, we have the opportunity to have some queer generational love and knowledge and take care of younger kids and pass things down. And, and so we continue to support this amazing organization with all different types of fundraisers. Um, do uh, it, people can uh, go to nastypig.com and, and look at um, some of the items and, uh, what new stuff do you have? And do you give a, a, a part of it away? Do you do you have any um, uh, 
charities online that you people can donate to and stuff? When every year uh, uh, we we give ten uh, percent of our pride collection to the Alifornia Center directly. We support mm-hmm. them with merchandise. We're always raising money uh, for this organization. They're fantastic. Uh, nice again. to pick for a good cause. That's so good. <laughs> I have so, a question for you, like because fetish has become fashion in a way that when you started it was very much an outlying kind of so what do you do now because you know what's the future i i, I guess how do you stay subversive when everyone on the planet yeah. is is wearing <laughs> fetish <Right>. week gear <laughs> it's it's it, you know something it's really interested we're holding on to our queer identity our logo, which has come to be what we call a private, not in a public world. So people who know our logo, like when you're going through an airport or you see someone, it's this way that the world is going on around you, but we can see each other. And and and, and it's a wink and a nod. You know, we did it kind of as a way to cruise. But what's been fascinating <laughs> is we've been hearing from some of our customers in smaller cities and small towns that when they wear it, no one knows but inevitably someone's going to spot it. We had a customer who felt he was so alone in his town and he went to check out at the Home Depot and the cashier was like, hey, nasty pig. And he wrote us and he's like, I've never felt so safe. You know, so nasty pig, like you said, it's this fashion stuff, but nasty pig is a love story. If you dig deep, nasty pig is a love story about the love I have for my husband, uh, the love we have for our community and our shared love of fashion. And that's really that's really what Nasty Pig is about. We are we are about a whole lot of love. Congratulations! Are you still in the same store, or have you got a different location? No, no. We went through a number of stores. We now have a design studio on Twenty Eighth between Tenth and Eleventh that operates as a pop up store. We have our designs there, and we also give it away to young queer authors and artists who need a space. We, we, we try and support young queer people any chance we get. So we have a flex space. So we've like had authors do book readings there and we, we let people photograph there. We really want to make sure, you know, you know, when, when um, uh, uh, it's always been a passion of mine that when I knew I would succeed and that I would stand up for young queer people and young queer artists, you know, we're all of a generation when it wasn't easy. So now we have a responsibility to uplift these younger people. At least I feel that way. I, so I love open. that. And, and I also, you made the mistake of saying you have a flex space where you have authors do readings. Because I have, you book, happen to have two authors right here yes. who need places to read. Hey, so. James, let's do a, 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 um, a duel, a, yeah. du- a dueling author reading. Yes. It, would be, it would be my pleasure. We've hosted book readings there. They go over really well. It's right next door to the Eagle. Everyone could get a drink afterwards. Ooh, you know, afterwards, we'll have the after party. That's perfect. You know, the Eagle, Eagle that's my spot. yes so so absolutely what's my my space is yours for real for real well listen um, we're gonna bring you back for our number one in a few minutes so stick around and uh fenton lead us out all right i will lead you out by counting down from number 10 to number nine number nine what do you guys think of julia fox i love her i think she's fabulous i um uh, didn't she didn't really come onto my radar until you know I mean recently, but every interview I've seen with her, she's a smart cookie and she um she's just fabulous in a way that is just club kitty and just like, rule breaking and just fucked up. <laughs> you know what I think about Julia Fox? She's a nasty pig. 
<laughs> or a, fox, a nasty fox, maybe. Um, well, she has a new autobiography memoir out called Down the Drain, and it is very well written. I've always thought of her as, I mean, like James, I didn't really know about her until Kanye, but I always thought about her as kind of a joke, talentless. But I think this might be her calling, writing. Um, well, this and dressing as a lunatic, which I also love. <laughs> right. She had a troubling history with her parents. She moved to from Italy to the U.S. in 96 with only her dad and left her mother behind with her little brother. And then her dad, they already had like a rough marriage, but her dad ended up having an affair with her best friend's mom that she made in America. And she caught them and the mom found out. And then the mom still stayed with the dad and they had another kid, but it was just toxic home environment. Um, she talks about going to the rambles with her friends. The rambles, <laughs> if anyone knows, is like where the gays meet up and cruise in, in Central Park. Um, I think I'm only on chapter four of this book. And this oh, is how far we are. Yeah. So um, where I am, she wants to move back to the U.S. because she's moved back to Italy following a boy. But now she's like with a drug dealer kingpin in New York. And that's where I am now. I'm really excited to keep going on this. I think it's really good. And she does the audio book, which I also love when the author does the audio book. So. Did she, her Kanye thing was not really, didn't sort of almost happen, sort of didn't happen, what, the Kanye hookup? Well, she was with him for a little while, which I think was maybe more for publicity than anything. What do you think, James? Well, didn't he, he was trying to groom her into being another Kim Kardashian. He was trying to dress her like Kim and and all of that. And she pretty much, I think she. I don't think she can be tamed. Yeah, I think she distanced herself pretty from uh, pretty quickly from his craziness. Well, I she think was... she was a muse for the Safdie brothers, who I talked about on, you know, the Benny Safdie was one of the people on that new Showtime show, The Curse. He mm, created it. Mm-hmm. They also did Uncut Jams. Okay. Which, right, sure. okay. you know, there's that famous meme of her saying Uncut Jams. So. Oh, is that why you just said it? Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I would recommend it. Available on Amazon. Julia Fox, Down the Drain. I got it on Audible. Love it. Soon to be a movie, I'm sure. It should be. Mm. It'll it, it'll be like 13. You oh. know that movie? That... Yes, I do remember that. Catherine Hardwick, director. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a sort of a sort of a bleak precursor to uh, Euphoria. Exactly. In fact, I remember when we were at with uh, at Sundance with Party Monster. That was the movie that everyone was going bananas for. Right. We were we were a little nonplussed about. We were a little irritated by that. Yes, <laughs> considerably. Right. Moving on to <laughs> no, she's a fabulous director, a lovely person. Moving on to number eight. Number eight. I was in England um, the past couple of weeks doing a bit of a book tour. Uh, part of which included going to my old Oxford College, Lincoln, and doing a Q&A and a what have you down there, down at Oxford. And um, I was thinking of you all the way, James, because um, James and I just went to see Saltburn. 
And so here I was literally going back to the scene of the crime because Lincoln backs right onto Brazenose, which is where that opening scene was filmed of the two students arriving at Oxford. And so it was a bit sort of um, trip down memory lane. I had forgotten how truly old the place is. I've been living in America so long. You know, this is real, authentic Harry Potter stuff. My college is 600 years old. Um, they're celebrating this anniversary. By so were you in the first class? <laughs> <laughs> they're celebrating this anniversary by uh, uh, celebrating 600 students. One of I am one of them. And... Um, I did a, uh, uh, that involves, I did the the signing. Wait, you mean in the history of Oxford, you were one of the 600 most uh, successful people? In the history of Lincoln College, Oxford, uh, they're celebrating 600 of their students, and I am one of the 600 out of 600 years. Yes. That's a big deal. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. I did a little book thing. Uh, and that, I'm a little intimidated to talk to you right now. Well, in fact, that's what I was hoping. And uh, then it involved dinner at the high table. And this is where things really went off the rails. Because you, first of all, you meet in the common room and you're drinking little thimbles of sherry. And my old tutor was there. He's still alive, unbelievably. And in his full gown. And then you think you just walk into the dining room. But no, no, you have to line up in a procession, which is hierarchically determined. And in England. You, I know, you walk into the dining hall, all the muggins, all the students are there, eat, you know, waiting. You walk up to the high table, which is on a raised dais. The dean wraps the table and says oh. a prayer in Latin. And then you sit down and have a delicious dinner served to you. I mean, the whole thing was just... And I'm sitting there thinking, this is real Harry Potter stuff, you know. Well, it's real Saltburn stuff, too. It's very Saltburn. What's a tutor? I was going to say, was your tutor still tutoring this whole time? He's or? not still tutoring. He is retired. Is it a tutor like we, we think of a tutor? A tutor, he is the, you're, you're sort of, he. Advisor. He, he doesn't look after you. He teaches you. You write essays for him on... He, he was a specialist in uh, Wordsworth. And I was not a terrible student, but I was like always prancing around doing theatre, darling. And he was really irritated by this and was like, you should be reading and working eight hours a day. He's in your book. He is, actually, yes. And you're still doing theater when you should <laughs> you should be reading and working. <laughs> and um, had a lovely dinner. And then at the end, the dean bangs the table again, and another bit of Latin, and we all process out. And then we go to another room, an upstairs room, where there's brandy and port and mingle. And, and then everybody just sort of disappears. And uh, there's not a lot of extended leave taking. And I was like, oh, where's everybody gone? Sort of run away, like, just like enough of this one. And, uh, but the other story I wanted to tell you about my time there was that I'm signing books. And this lovely female student says, oh, you knew my dad. And I'm like, really? Okay. Turns out she says his name, which I'm not going to repeat. He was my boyfriend. He was my salt burn, crazy, obsessive, deranged love affair, brideshead, Ripley-esque boyfriend. That is like salt burn. 
It was my soul, yes. And I am looking into the eyes of his daughter. And I'm like, what does she know? She's, you know, it was... Wait, your father was having an affair with this woman? With this woman that you met? No. No, sweetie. And the funny thing is, James, I previewed this story with you yesterday and you had <laughs> zero reaction. It was I, like... I'm not understanding. Who had the affair with who? I had the affair when I was a student with another student who was at the same oh. time. I was passionately, obsessively... Oh, is this the bicycle boy? The, the bicycle boy? Thank you. Yes. And we'll stop there with the details, but I didn't drink his bath water that much. <laughs> and, but there I was looking into the eyes of his daughter and it was a moment of profound, not awfulness, but oh my God, I felt old. I'm like, but did oh. she look like him? Did, were you suddenly yes. transported back? And are you, have you been th- having, dreaming about him and having obsessive thoughts again over him? No, fortunately, no, mm-hmm. no. Um, but she was like, yeah, my dad talks about you a lot. And I was like, mm, I wonder what. <laughs> <laughs> now, but that's interesting, though, isn't it? Don't you yeah. wonder? I, I do wonder. Because you always think that those that those boys never give you a second thought again. And you sort of, you're the one that you're the mooning over them for the rest. But he was mooning over you his whole life. Well, I don't think so, because um, he's become something of an esteemed poet. And so I have to confess, I have bought a couple of volumes of poetry and scanned it. To like, see if, well, if the poems are about you. Coded mentions me. And, and to be honest, I can't see any mention at all. <laughs> well, was he one of the 600 students? Who knows? I mean, that night that I was there, that the height, so they they bring you in and, and give you the dinner at the high table, right? So they do, they're doing it thematically. And that night was Ladies of Distinction. And I was like, I don't know how I did this theme. <laughs> you but are I'll a lady it. of distinction. <laughs> but I'll take it anyway. So. It's not a raid. <laughs> right? That's, well, wait, what were you, were you, um, who were you in uh, Midsummer's Night's Dream? Titania, Queen of the Fairies. So that's, they were remind, they were reminding you that you were the most fabulous Tatiana that they've ever seen. Right. But weren't you, didn't you bring the school down? Weren't you the most popular girl in school after that? Yes, I was. I was chased from hither and thither by the classics teacher who suddenly was going to leave his wife. And <laughs> his way you were me. so beautiful. <laughs> Do you have pictures of yourself? Oh, God. Yes. <laughs> I have a visual aid. Here we go. There's, there I am. I, oh, oh my God. God. I love that you still have it. Just, Look how cute you were. Oh, my God. Just lying around. I know, right? <laughs> just, just happens to be lying around. Waiting for James to remember. <laughs> you look like Kate Bush. Okay, well, moving on. I think we should take a break because I'm a little over, getting a little bit clumped here. Um, RuPaul's Drag Race UK Series 5 has crowned a brand new queen on Wow Presents Plus here in the States, Craving Canada, BBC3 in the UK, Get your Wow Presents Plus at wowpresentsplus.com. It is a fantastic season and a fantastic new reigning queen. Well, I've got a doozy of a question for you guys. (laughs) So you guys remember Lorena Bobbitt, right? Sure. Well, after she made the chop and fled with um, John Wayne's wiener, Mm -hmm. she threw that and what else out the window? 
Yes, Lorena Bobbitt, who famously castrated her husband, as she fled, she in her car, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, she threw his penis, his severed penis out the window, and what else? All right. Well, we'll have the answer to that to that prickly question right after the break here on the Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James St. James and Blake, who's standing in for Tom with a really interesting question. Mm-hmm. When Lorena Bobbitt <laughs> uh, severed her husband, John Wayne Bobbitt's penis, mm. she threw it out the window of her car along with what else? I'm going to say the bloody uh, gardening shears that she took it off with. That makes sense, doesn't it? Um, I'm going to say her big gulp soda. <laughs> no, it, it was a Game Boy. Oh, oh, because she was probably furious with him for play, ignoring her while playing the Game Boy. Something like that. I just watched this uh, How It Really Happened on my Discovery Plus app, and I thought this was interesting trivia for you boys. Mm-hmm. And they did recover the penis. They did, they did. And then he made... A porn tape called Franken Penis. I remember mm. I had it. <laughs> the penis? <laughs> you know, the, the, I would play it after after hours parties when we were all, you know, sitting around <laughs> trying to come down. <laughs> oh, God. Well, welcome back to the Wow Report. We're counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. We've reached number seven. Number seven. I watched Dolly Land on Hulu this week. Which Dolly is, Parton? Well, it's not Dolly Parton, and it's not the Dolly Lama. It is uh, Salvador Dolly and Gala. Oh. And it is um, directed by Mary Heron, who did American Psycho, and I shot Andy Warhol, and like the L Word and things like that. And it tells the story of this hot young boy in the 1970s who gets a job in an art gallery where Salvador Dali is going to be showing. And Salvador sort of falls in love with him, sort of, kind of, you know how Salvador was. Um, He pulls him into his scene, into the St. Regis Hotel where he and Gallo were living, where they had these 24-hour parties every night with Amanda Lear and Alice Cooper. And this boy is so beautiful. And he's... um, He's got these lips, and, and uh, Dolly calls him St. Sebastian because he looks like St. Sebastian. He also looks like a young helmet burger. He looks like uh, uh, like he would be like in a Caravaggio painting. His name is Christopher Briney, and I had talked about Christopher Briney two weeks ago on this show when we were talking about the Mean Girls musical, and I was saying that the internet was really coming down hard on uh-huh. this guy who was supposed to be playing Aaron um, Samuels. Aaron, Aaron Samuels, yeah. And and everyone was saying he's not Aaron Samuels. He's not the same actor. He looks terrible. He's ugly, blah, 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 blah. But when you put him into 70s clothes, all of a sudden he is just an absolute angel. It is an absolute revelation to see this young actor, Christopher Briney. He's fabulous. And the guy who played Salvador Dali was Ben Kingsley. And um, the woman who played Gala was um, Barbara Sak- Sakawa, something like that. She... Uh, it was really, really fabulous. And like I said, it's almost all party scenes in the St. Regis Hotel in the 1970s when everyone is in there sort of, it's like sort of 
just as the factory scene is ending. So everybody is going to the St. Regis to play there. In fact, yesterday we spoke to uh, B.B. Buell, who talked about being at the St. Regis with Truman Capote. And and it, that, that's sort of what that's the time period that this movie centers on. Unfortunately, there is a trigger warning because the young Salvador Dali is played by Ezra Miller in flashbacks. And Ezra Miller, as you know, has been very much canceled. And so it is, uh, you can, but it's only like five minutes. The flashback is only- You're giving a trigger warning for the actor? Yeah, because 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 people really will not watch the movie uh-huh. if ever is. I thought it was great movie. I loved it. Oh, you watched and, it? Yes, no, yes. And that boy, you're right. Did you believe? Do you, do you agree with me that he's yes. just a revelation? Very, very good. And um, actually, Ben Kingsley, who's often very Ben Kingsley in everything, mm-hmm. I thought he was really good as Dali, and I, I just loved it as a slice of something. You know, yeah. it, it feels like it's been sort of somewhat. The movie's been sort of cruelly ignored, I suppose. Well, really. it, it didn't. It wasn't up for any nominations. It like it came and went. And this, the first I'm hearing of it is the fact that it, it showed up on Hulu the other day in my recommendations. But I really, I thought it was a great way to spend an hour and a half. I just loved. It. I, I was really there the whole time. That is Dollyland uh, streaming on Hulu. Number six. <laughs> Number six. Rats. What? Yeah, are getting too damn brave. Uh, I'll tell you what. I th- And I think they're migrating west. I saw one carjack a woman in front of the Silver Lake Trader Joe's last night. And I'll tell you what I mean, for real. We were on our way to the Glendale Galleria to get Steven a blazer for this award show. And also a tour of Italy from the Olive Garden. When all of a sudden... We see this thing floating across the, we think it's a leaf, you know, blowing in the wind across the street, across uh, Glendale Boulevard. It is a rat. And the rat runs up and it tries to run up this woman's car tire and it doesn't get up it because I guess she starts going. So it runs next door and we see this rat run into this woman's engine, like in her car. And we're like, how many rats are just like, in our car right now it's insane why was it why was it trying to kill it was i mean it's a death mission right i mean you can't live in an engine i guess not and how you're gonna get taken away from all your family well you know i've i very famously had a rat in new york when i was living on avenue c and it rats they have no fear of anything and this rat, I would leave the lights on. I would leave the music blaring right next to my bed. I was leaving, sleeping on a futon. And it would come right up to the futon and, like, hiss at me. And I had a broom. And I would bang it with the broom. And then and it would run away. But then after a while, it wasn't even scared of the broom. It would just sort of knock the broom away with its hand and come up to the bed and come up right up onto the mattress with me and, like, yell at me. It was just, it was terrible. Is this when you lived in the storefront? Yes, yes, the storefront with the serial killer who uh, murdered his girlfriend. Uh, with the Japanese tourists. The tour, yeah. It, I don't. I'm sure you remember Fenton. The um, Daniel Rakowitz. Daniel Rakowitz. Yes, and he killed his girlfriend and made stew out of her yeah. on my stovetop. And no. Then, 
and fed the stew to the homeless people yes. in Tompkins Square Park. I had no idea that was your roommate. I mean, James no, no, Barry no, no, the no, lead. No, he wasn't my roommate. <laughs> no, it was right afterwards, and they didn't tell me. The real estate person didn't tell me that this was the apartment that he lived in. And it was like a storefront. And every morning I would come out and there'd be Japanese tourists taking pictures of my storefront. And I thought they were taking pictures of me because I was so fabulous. And I would pose and become home in my club kid outfits. And But apparently I was like a stop on their like serial killer tour. They probably thought you were the killer. <laughs> well, I did get a little crazy during that period. So I think there were some vibes there left over. But anyway, all of this is to say that, <laughs> rat, yes, rats are crazy and they're getting crazier. Well, and New and- York has a rat czar, right? They've appointed someone who's just mm. in charge of de-ratifying the city. Well, well and now the- they're, they're heading west out here, I mm. guess. Mm. What, mm. James? I was going to say that his a big idea was to close the lids of the garbage cans. And that was his, he's getting paid like, you know, a hundred million dollars a year. And he was like, we're just going to put lids on garbage cans. <laughs> well, okay. So watch out for rats on the attack when rats attack in um, LA and other places. All right. Number five. Number five. London calling. So I was just telling you, I was in the UK doing a little book tour. I went to meet a friend for a drink at the OWO, the Old War Offices. This is a 1906 building on Whitehall that was sold sold by the government in, what, 2016, like seven years ago, to the Raffles Hotel Empire. And ever since then, they have been restoring it, and it's finally open. This place has like six restaurants and 12 bars. It's absolutely massive. It's right opposite Dining Street, practically. And it's been so beautifully, jaw-droppingly restored. It's just, it's just, it's unbelievable. And just the money. Um, is is the food, is it expensive? Is it is everybody dressed to the nines? What, to, well, to it's work? weird. I mean, is it it's like an Americana? It's a Raffles Hotel. And it's, but it's part of that trend, I suppose, of the same way they've restored the Chelsea Hotel in New York and that it's sort of more posh than it ever was. It's this sort of back to the future that never, it's sort of retro renovations that just make things far better than they ever were. It's this sort of, and the, it's just sort of obscenely rich. Yeah. And of course, the old war offices, you know, I mean, this is like, this is where Lord Kitchener was. This is where Churchill conducted World War Two. This is where Ian Fleming came up with James Bond. This is where, I mean, it's sort of a very historical O.T.E. Lawrence and Lawrence of Arabia. I mean, the whole thing. Um, and there's 12 bars, six restaurants, and, and one of which is the drawing room, where you can get a cup of tea for like, 20 pounds like so it is obscenely expensive and in the basement they have a spies bar with a full-on aston martin like behind the bar um celebrating you know james bond and it it, it was just it was like it, it, just, it sounds very sort of upscale Times square is sort of what it sounds yes like. actually that's <laughs> brilliantly put because it, it is this idea of like i suppose taking these buildings with this sort of in some respects, awful history. You know, it's sort of 
I mean, part of it is sort of colonial evil, but just sort of theme parkifying it and saying, oh, you know, making it sort of gorgeous and somewhere you want to hang out. I was thinking it was more kind of like, um, you know, they took out our spotlight and put in that beauty and Essex bar. There you go. It's a, it's a sort of gentrification type thing. Uh-huh. Um, um, it's a sort of weird retro climate and London's full of it at the moment. I don't know what's going on, but like these sort of, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it, it's an interesting interior design trend. Um, it's all part of this sort of salt burn, bride's heady, just that that love of things past, I suppose. All right, so let's take a quick break. Uh, some exciting things, by the way, are coming to WoW Presents Plus. Season two of Tongue Tied with Pangina Heels on December 4th. And Big Freedom Means Business uh, on Thursday, December 7th. You can see the trailers on our socials and you can sign up at wowpresentsplus.com. Blake, have you got a question? I do, I do. Who did Taylor Swift just knock off the top spot of Spotify's most streamed artists after a three-year reign? So this person reigned, and Taylor Swift just knocked them off. Hmm. All right. We'll have the answer to that question right after the break here on The Wow Report. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go Wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton with James St. James, um, Blake Jacobs, and uh, filling in for Tom. And um, we're counting down the top 10. Oh, yes, we had a question, Blake. That's right. Taylor Swift just knocked this person off of Spotify's most streamed artist after three years. They reigned for three years. And Taylor Swift knocked them off. Who is it? It must um, be Beyonce. Well, you Good think? guess. Um, I'm going to say that um, like Morgan Wallen guy or something. Ugh. No, it was actually Bad Bunny. Oh. That music is bigger than you think. Mm. And he is a cutie, isn't he? Mm-hmm. He's wonderful. I love him. And I suppose Taylor Swift had some catching up to do because for a long time she wasn't on Spotify. Yeah. But oh. she's had a banner year this year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, damn. Mm-hmm. All right. We're counting down the top 10 things that made us go, wow, we've reached number four, James. Number four. It's me. Mm. Um, and I'm sorry, Fenton, to do this to you, but I am talking about the Gilded Age once again, and I know that you are poo-pooing the show. Have you even watched it? Not lately, no. <laughs> well, then I'm talking into the void here. Because no, I no. I, I, your, accounts, watch it. your accounts of things are always better than the actual thing. That much I know. Okay, well, you know, the the thing about this show is that it is both, it is very campy and very soapy, but at the same time, the writing is just god-awful, and some of the acting is just wooden, and it's, but it's, it's, that makes it like a car crash, like it's car crash viewing, where you just can't believe that, that they can marry the sumptuousness of these costumes and the period and the details of the design and the cinematography and the houses and everything with just this leaden plot that goes absolutely nowhere. Now, this season, the big drama is that Bertha Russell, social climber Bertha Russell, 
there's a new woman in town who has more money and she's married richer and she's a new nouveau riche arriviste who is uh, supplanting Bertha's gains, okay? So there's a new woman in town who is nipping at Bertha's heels and threatens to overcome her in her social climbing. Well, when we finally meet the new woman, it turns out, dun, 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 that it was Bertha's former lady's maid who tried to sleep with her husband and then she was fired and she went off and married the richest man in town. And now she, her former maid is the new hotshot society leader. And so that is the, the, the big to-do that's going on. I do remember the maid from season one. I remember like, yes. Yeah. Nasty maid who tried to sleep with her husband. Yes. So, also, Bertha's hot son is sleeping with an older woman, and that's caught, and tongues are wagging as they did back then. Mm-hmm. And so that's the other big thing. But the funny thing about this show is that, like I've said before, that Julian Fellows doesn't give a fuck about this show. You get the feeling that it is the last thing he tackles on his to-do list every day, and he just throws out, you know, a uh, new woman comes and she's rich. Like, he just... He, you can tell he just gives the writers whatever comes off the top of his head and he doesn't think about it in the way that he did with Downton Abbey. And they don't follow the rules of screenwriting or of plotting or of telling a story. There are certain ways to do things. Like, for instance, last episode, uh, this new woman uh, was going to... the Bertha was having a, a dinner party for a duke. Who, from England, who was coming over, and it was the highlight of the social season, and this new woman was going to sabotage the dinner. And she had one of the rogue chefs at Bertha's. She was going to oversalt the soup, and everyone, no one would be able to eat it, and it would ruin the party. And so that's the setup for the whole episode. And then as the party starts, the, the chef puts the salt in the soup, and someone says, oh, look, he's putting salt in the soup. And they say, we have to change soups. And so they changed soups, and, and the party went off as planned, and no, there was nothing, there was no payoff for this whole plot line. And it's sort of like, well, you have the, yes, you could have had this dinner party that was upset because of the salted soup and every, and Bertha could have had to deal with the fallout, but they didn't even do that. It's just like, oh, we'll replace the soup. And that was done. And then also the other subplot was Ada is getting married. The, the, um, um, which from sex in the city, Miranda, um, she she was she's you know sort of a, a an old maid but she's found love with a vicar okay. and so they're getting married and her sister Christine Baranski is furious because she doesn't want to be left alone right well so she refuses to come to the wedding and it's this whole to do and much to do about nothing da 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 when the end she shows up at the wedding and everything's fine and everyone is, is happy like they do they have these big setups and then they resolve it in like two scenes and there's like there's no payoff it's like it's absolutely the worst plotting and writing of a show i've ever seen and that was my my i that's so that's why i'm with you in my solidarity in in terms of not watching it because it's like it's a the, I'm like, why would you watch that? Like, well, you watch it because of Carrie Coon, Broadway superstar who plays Bertha, the, mm-hmm. the social climber. Yeah. And you watch it for Christine Baranski, who d- eats every scene of every line. And you watch it for the hats. You watch it for, for the bustles. You watch it for the, the staircases and the flower arrangements. I mean, there are you are never bored watching it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet you I could be. 
Well, I, I'm not trying to sell it out to you. I'm trying to sell it to Fenton. But Fenton, well, I have a feeling that you're Julian Fellows in this and, and that you could just, and it's just because you don't care anything about uh, uh, the olden days in America because you're, you, you're a snob and you look down because there's no way that anyone could be anything. You said it You said it last time when you said, I suppose everyone in America is an RVs. And I just thought, why that snotty little Brit? Like, how dare you? I was really upset when you said that because it really just showed your your class roots <laughs> it's okay well, well take it out on me it's all my fault rubbish. <laughs> i will get you to watch this season though all right well number three that's the gilded age streaming on max number three number three james i sat down to watch the last season of the crown and mm. it, it shows that actually you're wrong about me because I have loved The Crown. Last season, I really was like, mm, it's miscast. It's not so good. And this season, unwatchable. Yeah. Just, I got maybe 20 minutes into episode one. And I was like, just not doing it. The Queen doesn't look like the Queen. Prince Charles doesn't look like Prince Charles. Diana's, I mean, no one resembles anyone. And the script is pretty awful. And the fact that it cost a bazillion dollars an episode isn't enough. I'm sorry. Well, what do you think oh. happened? Right. Well, what do you what, think? Happened? Right. Oh. It is the casting. I do think so. And I don't believe the, the writing in that either. There's a scene when, when Diana dies and you see Prince Charles fall to his knees and look to the skies and sob and moan and rail at God. And I don't believe for a second that I, I think he just said, oh dear, what? Do, yes, how should yeah. we tell the boys? And then they're trying to make Prince Charles look like a serial killer. I mean, Prince William, he's sort of this hunched over, sullen teenager who was not the cute boy that we all remember. No, exactly. No resemblance to anyone living or dead. And it just doesn't work. Peter Morgan is a good writer. I mean, the, the, the film he did about Diana originally, the film that started it all. Oh yeah. What was it called? It was really good and beautifully written. I, I don't know what it's so it's unfathomable to me. And they, they, they really jumped the shark when um, Princess Diana's ghost would come and show up to everybody later in the season and talk to the queen and talk to Charles. And they'd have these like lighthearted conversations about how to move forward with the funeral. And it was just, it's very bizarre. It's mm. just, I agree with you completely. Well, boys, can we move on to something that we actually all want to see at number two? Okay, let's do that. Let's go there right now. Number two. Number two. Fry Bad Phrase and Me. Oh! On Netflix. It's so good. Mm. It's a Netflix pick. I heard... James, did you say it was number four on well, the number four. Yeah, it was trending this week. It, um, it was really spectacular. I didn't get a chance to go to the premiere at um, Grauman's Chinese Theater last week. This is uh, Billy Luther's directorial debut. Well, feature debut, because Billy's directed a number of documentaries like Miss Navajo and Grab, which are actually on Where It Presents Plus, by the way. Um, but this is his debut feature, and uh, it's... It premiered on Netflix a week ago. Perfect timing. Friday, Black Friday, the, the day after Thanksgiving. You know, obviously Thanksgiving is a complicated holiday from the point of view of Native Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a great time to put it out. And what a the, the, the film is just 
is incredibly funny and moving. But James, what did you think? Well, I thought I I immediately was texting Billy saying, you know, the cinematography is unbelievable. You know, the, the actors are talk about perfectly cast. Every single one of them is a standout. The girl, the girl who plays um, Fry Bed Face, Dawn, just perfect. The grandmother is perfect. Uncle Marvin is so hot. It takes place on a reservation, uh, a Navajo reservation in the early 90s. And there's a boy who goes to spend the summer with his grandmother. And he sort of views it in the beginning as, oh, God, you know, I hate this. But then as, as it goes along, he sort of learns to accept and love uh his family and and um there's a there's one scene in particular where he's dancing in the skirt i he, he, the little boy is he, he's putting on lipstick throughout and you can tell that it's supposed to be billy yeah i just <laughs> know that it was billy and billy is the narrator isn't he mm-hmm. yeah yes. yeah and it's um, funny with that little detail actually with the narration they tried to find someone else to narrate it and but his narration is so perfect. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and it, like I said, it, knowing Billy, I can see this boy as, as young Billy. It's so it is. It's it's a really just really really. I walked away just. I thought about it for two or three days afterwards, and I kept mm. revisiting moments in it. And it's a just it's it's. it's I just really, it's a beautiful, and I'm as far removed from somebody who knows about, you know, life on the reservation. And yet I identified with each and every single one of the characters. And I was thinking like, I completely understand. I, it was like, it, it's the sign of really great filmmaking when you really understand the characters and you put yourself in them. In their mm-hmm. And of course, um, Nolan uh, is in the movie. Well, I am going to, I am going to be making, I'm going to be throwing it in his face for the, for the next 20 years. So he's 40 years old. I'm going to be calling him. Come on, pickle boy. Want a pickle? Because he's, he's the pickle boy in the movie. And, and when you see him, that was another woo woo moment where I, you know, clapped and shouted. You know what really gets me and, and makes me sort of is the um, you know, the film is very moving, and, uh, in, but it's not maudlin. It's not, you know, earnest or that sort of um, trying to make you feel bad Streakly. about. Streakly, yes. Right. And then, but then at the end, I'm already sort of crying and everything. But when they show the actual videotape of his real family, his real parents with the rug i was just like <gasps> it's something about it so it's just very moving you know and it's it, you know the the woman who plays um the grandmother who i imagine is mm. probably a real navajo and she's speaking the whole time in monologuing and there's no subtitles and she's speaking in navajo but you know exactly what she's saying even though like you you're just a ima- like she gives in a language that you don't know, or most of the viewers will probably not know, she gives such a clear performance. It's yes. it's amazing. Oh, she's incredible. Yeah. All right. Uh, congratulations. congratulations to Billy. Yeah. Sorry. Just took the words right out of your mouth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> congratulations to Billy Luther, director and writer of Fry Bread Facing Me, now streaming on Netflix. Okay, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, the number one thing this week that made us go wow. Um, And welcome back our very special guest this week. You're listening to The Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to The Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with Blake and James. And it feels like a lifetime, this episode. Um... (laughs) 
We've had all sorts of dramas in the making of it. And I'm very excited to welcome back David Lodestein for our number one this week, which of course is, today is World AIDS Day. Number one. Hello again, Hello. Um Again, I'm going to jump in real quick because I know that um, uh, you and Nasty Pig Back in the 90s, um, you've talked a little bit about how important the fetish community is to you and how that is um, was an inspiration. But also, uh, you've told me in, in conversations that um, it was the, during the AIDS uh, crisis that um, you really felt a need to bring the fetish community back into the fold because they were being ostracized a little bit back during that era. Can you sort of talk a little bit about that and the importance of AIDS Day? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, uh, Nasty Pig, we were started in 1994. Uh, and that was a time I came out in 1993. And it was a time when AIDS was a death sentence. And, and, and we had so much, there was so much stigma placed unfairly upon queer people, especially kinky people and we had taken on we had owned that stigma it was so fairly unfairly placed upon us so nasty pig was really my husband and my it was almost like it was almost like it started as an activist organization we wanted to create something that's that that absolutely celebrated the crossroads between queer identity and sexual positivity and the people who saw it first a lot of them were these young the very few young people who were exploring fetish and we were wildly unpopular. You know, we, people didn't understand us. We were, we had a note taped to our store that said, stop spreading AIDS, but we, we were spreading love. We were about spreading love of community, love of love of, of self and not letting the unfairness that was placed upon us define us. And we, we, we just, we just went on this two man mission and, uh, you know, 30 years later, we're still going. And, so. and do you think that, uh, I, that obviously you had a, a small part in in helping um, the normalization of fetish, uh, fetish, but also taking away the stigma of, of yeah. uh, kinky sex and how that was unfairly targeted? Yeah, of being of being sexual in general. You know, so much of our, even our own leaders were like, Let's blend in. We're not just about sex. And clearly queer, our queerness manifests in many ways, but, but don't bury the lead. Wear it on your sleeve. Don't be ashamed of, 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 of what we do because there's nothing wrong with it. And we just wanted to shake that stigma off one person at a time. And we, we really were, like I said, we were wildly unpopular. People didn't get us, but we stuck with it. And, and these young kinky guys really saw us for who we are you know i think that's so great the work that you're doing because also it seems that things have changed very much in terms of acceptance of queer people but at the same time it's always the sex bit that gets that trips people up and they can seem so liberal and accepting and then it's like oh yes but why it's got to be why are you gays gonna have sex? And it's like, why you gotta do it out in the open in front of us? Yes, and I mean, yeah, that's. And, and, I mean, honestly, it's not like the rest of society has exactly gotten sex right. I mean, divorce rates are through the roof. Teenage pregnancy, like, clearly, why are we modeling ourselves against some sort of ideal that fails? 
You know what I'm saying? Sexual repression is at the cause of so many issues. And, you know, and, 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 and I feel as queer people, look, we, we, we keep getting made for a reason. We can't naturally have babies. Queer people kept getting, we keep being born. And personally, there's a biological reason for us to be around. So it's, we shouldn't just be tolerated or accepted. We are necessary to the fabric of society. And we should be celebrating that. You know, I have done 30 years of gay pride and I really want to explore gay purpose because what we do, it has to have meaning. And the way Absolutely. That we it's other, not like queer people make queer people, right? I mean, the only way a queer person is born is when two straight people get it on. Exactly. And where would the world be without us? Do you exactly. think, though, do you think that in the, in the past 40, 30 years since you started Nasty Pig, that it has gotten better a little bit? Or are we regressing very quickly and it's worse than it was in the you 90s? Know, the pendulum. We were making a lot of progress. The pendulum swings back and forth. And one of the reasons why it's so important to honor World AIDS Day is because we have a history when things were hard and things have gotten better, but things go back and forth. And I think World's AIDS Day is an important time for us to reflect upon our ancestors who passed and those who survived because as we have seen, Things are not going so well in some areas of the country, and we are the first ones. It's easy to fire on us, and part of the reason why I wear my sexuality on my sleeve is because that's who I am. And at some point, that's what kind of defines me as a gay man. It doesn't define all gay men or all queer people, you know, but I take it in the ass. I can't, I, can't, I can't deny that part. So that's, you know, so, so I really feel it's so important for us to stand in each of our unique identities, but you can't just let go of the sex part. You got, you got to get comfortable people with it. Yeah. That, that's where I'm at. Well, thank you so much. And, um, and Fenton, you can finish. No, that, well, thank you, James, for letting me wrap things out. But David, thank you for the work you do. Um, but, and, and for those inspiring words, really, on this World AIDS Day. I is mean, there you know, is there anyone we can donate to, or anything we can do on World AIDS Day, David, to so, help? So I, I will. You know, there are all sorts of chais. I the reason why I always call out the Ali Fournay Center is just because even on World AIDS Day, remembering our queer, our queer mm-hmm. kids and those who are, are so marginalized. Anytime you put money into that organization, it is going to support them. They work with Nasty Pig because they are unafraid to stand in sexual positivity. So mm-hmm. I encourage everybody. And if it's that's not for you, GMHC is another great. There are all sorts of organizations. And uh, you could also yeah. go buy stuff from Nasty Pig because knowing that Nasty Pig will donate a portion of its profits too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will always, I will always put queer dollars back into the queer community. That I can count on. We are we're hundred percent owned by me and Fred. No one calls the shots on us except us. What is it you say, Fenton? A high tide lifts all boats. Yeah. The rising tide lifts all ships. That's that. There that. you go. And a Excellent. nasty pig. Mm. Nasty Pig eats every truffle. There you go. <laughs> Nasty Pig finds every truffle, where no matter well where said. that is. Yeah. Well said. Anyway. <laughs>
Thank you for joining us, David. Thanks for tuning in to the Wow Report. Thank you for listening. Um, you can check Thank out you guys for having me on. Ah, oh, not at all. Thank you. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.